We're continuing through Romans chapter 8 tonight. In last week's sermon, we looked at Romans 8, 1 to 13. And the first big point of that section, that's really, you could say, it's the first big point, the main point of all of Romans, is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, we've been moved from the realm of death to the realm of life. And then 8, 1 to 13 goes on to talk about how when we've been moved from the realm of death to the realm of life, the realm of the Spirit, it just doesn't make sense for us to keep living in our old sinful ways. Instead, we live according to God's Spirit at work within us. So that's Romans 8, 1 to 13. Tonight, I'm going to read Romans 8, 12 to 17, But for the sermon, I'm going to focus on verses 14 to 17. 14 to 17 are kind of their own unit, but they flow out of what comes before them. So to get the stream of the thought of this chapter, we're going to start with verse 12 and read through verse 17. This is God's word for us tonight. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature... You will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is God's holy and infallible word for us tonight. So we're going to walk through this text in three parts tonight. We're going to start by talking about adoption, then talk about assurance, and we'll wrap up by talking about affliction. So adoption, assurance, affliction. And first, adoption. In the first few verses of Romans 8, like I mentioned before we read the text, you can see a move from one way of doing things to another way. You see a move kind of from one kingdom to another kingdom. But then in Romans 8, 14 to 17, we get a different image. And now we get this image of a move from one family to another family. Romans 8, 14 to 17 talks about our adoption as children of God. And this image of God adopting us and the doctrine of adoption is one that we probably don't think about too often. But I think it's one of the most comforting doctrines that we can have with regard to our salvation. But of course, as with many, many things when we talk about God, there's this challenge that God adopting us is kind of the same, but also pretty different from human adoptions. Human adoption is often this big mix of love and pain, of wonder and worry. My extended family's been involved in lots and lots of adoptions. I know some members of our churches, some members of our church have adopted or have been adopted. And when we adopt or when we're adopted, we don't know the future. We're all broken human beings. All human families are broken to some extent. 
And so many things can go wrong. So many things can be so hard. Even when there's a lot of goodness, there's a lot of uncertainty in human adoption. But God's adoption of us as his children does not have that uncertainty. Because God is the one who is at work, who is at work here, there's a certainty, a promise that no human adoption can match. So understand that the analogy isn't perfect, but still, adoption is a great scripturally sanctioned image for God making us his own. All human beings were part of the old family of Adam, and that family is a pretty terrible family to be around. When Adam sinned, he brought all of his descendants down into sin, and things are pretty rough in that old family. Everybody fights. There is never enough love to go around. There's hostility toward God. There's competition with everybody else. And the only inheritance Adam's family can give is trouble and in the end, death. If you're stuck in Adam's family, things are rough. But the Bible tells us God has made us part of his family. If the spirit lives in us, we are truly children of God. If we believe in Jesus, we have received the spirit of sonship or the spirit of adoption. The great good news of this text, the great good news of the doctrine of adoption is that God has made us his children forever. God chose us to belong to him. Now, often if we think about salvation, one of the first places we go, especially as Reformed folk, is to justification. And that's one of the sort of legal metaphors or a legal way of thinking about salvation. In justification, God moves us from one legal status to another legal status. You can talk about this in terms of a courtroom. If we were to go before God without Christ, we would be in trouble. If we were to go to God just on our own merits, we would have to expect that a righteous judge would call us guilty. We have offended against God and his ways. We are imperfect people. We've been rebels and traitors. Everybody has rebelled against God and deserves punishment. But in Christ, God takes that punishment away. Ultimately, he puts it on himself. And because of Christ's work, God looks at us and he says, not guilty. So that's kind of the legal aspect of salvation if we think about it that way. But our salvation isn't just a legal matter. It's not just that God looks at us and says, not guilty, and leaves it there. If we continue with that courtroom analogy, salvation is like God declaring us not guilty, and then God adopts us. The judge comes down, takes off his robes, puts on his regular clothes, takes us home with him. He gives us his last name. He makes us part of his family. He puts us in his will. He makes us one of his beloved kids. We all start out as members of Adam's broken family, but through the work of his son and his spirit, God brings us into his perfect eternal family. God doesn't just pardon us and then leave it there. God adopts us. God makes us His very own. And because God has adopted us as his children, there is nothing that can ever take us away from God. 
God's adoption says you are in the family and you will be in this family forever. God has made you his child if you believe in Jesus. God created all people and in that sense you can say every human being is God's offspring but through Jesus' work God claims his people in a special way and he makes us his children. And because God has chosen us, because God has adopted us, we are part of his family forever. And because of that, believers have the special privilege of calling God Abba, Father. There's some debate about how exactly to translate Abba in Romans 8 here, but Daddy is probably the best English word for it. This is something that gives us this sense of intimacy, this sense that we have a special relationship with God. Because God has adopted us as his children, we have a unique privilege. We can call on him in extraordinary, remarkable ways. And he is a father that never lets us down when we call on him, Abba, Father. Our earthly families always let us down. If we think about the whole human race, if we think about our father, Adam, Adam really got us all messed up. He got us all tossed out of Eden and into a broken world. And if we come way closer to our own time and we think just about our immediate family, all of us have brokenness. Some of us had really terrible, terrible fathers. Some of us had fathers who were really good, but still human and still imperfect. But God is our perfect, perfect father. When everything else falls apart, we can rest on the fact that God has adopted his people and that we have a heavenly father who loves us, who loves us forever, who goes with us through everything, and who will make sure that we stay with him forever. That's the comfort of our adoption as God's children. Because God has adopted us, we can be sure that we belong to him forever. And that's our second big point for tonight, assurance. Verse 16 tells us that God's spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. God's spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now that's powerful stuff. God himself testifies that we are his children. Now, that point is harder for some of us to grasp than others of us. Some of us with backgrounds and personalities and certain experiences find it pretty easy to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. God, God accepts me. God's claimed me. Good. Others of us keep wondering. We keep questioning. We have something in us that makes us keep pushing and pushing for greater assurance, for greater certainty. And there's room for all of that here. But tonight I want to talk about some ways that all of us as God's people can know, can be assured that God has adopted us as his children. So verse 16 tells us that that assurance comes from the Spirit. But if we think about that, we can trace out several different ways that the Spirit works to assure us that we belong to him. First, as verse 16 says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirits. The Holy Spirit testifies along with our spirits that we belong to God. 
And what that seems to be meaning is that the Holy Spirit works in us so that we have this deep assurance. We just have this internal heart sense that we belong to God and that God loves us. The Holy Spirit testifies along with and through our hearts that we belong to God. But it doesn't stop there. That word there in verse 16 that the NIV translates as testifies with can mean testifies with, and that's probably the stronger translation, but it also has a pretty strong sense of testify to. The Holy Spirit testifies with our hearts, but the Holy Spirit also gives us evidence. The Holy Spirit testifies to our spirits that we belong to Christ. And there are some different things we could talk about with that. I'm going to talk about two things tonight. One way that the Holy Spirit testifies to us that we belong to God is through our lives. The Canons of Dort, one of our confessions, one of the key documents of our church, follows a number of scripture passages in telling us that if we need assurance of our salvation, one place that we can look is our lives. If we see good fruit in our lives, then we can have evidence that we belong to Jesus. So if we see true faith in our lives, say the Canons of Dort, if we see a childlike faith in God, if we see sorrow for our sins, if we see a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, if we see those things, if we see others like them, then we can have assurance that we belong to God. Now, this is not salvation by works. It's not exactly assurance by works either. It's not that we need to be perfect. And it's not that we should get all focused on, boy, I did a lot of good this week, so I'm sure I'm saved. Or, boy, I didn't do enough good this week, so next week I'd better be better. Really, this isn't looking ultimately to what we've done as evidence of assurance. What this is, is us looking to how God is at work in us, through us, and with us to bear good fruit. Apart from the Holy Spirit's work, not a single one of us would believe in Jesus Christ. Apart from the Holy Spirit's work, not a single one of us would want to be children of God. Apart from the Holy Spirit, no one is ever sorry for their sins, and no one ever really wants to be righteous in God's eyes unless the Holy Spirit is at work in them. We are dead in our sins apart from God's work. The Spirit brings us to life. The Spirit makes us want to follow God. The Spirit makes us able to follow God. So when we look at our lives, it's not our hard work that shows us that we belong to Christ. It's that our good works, our fruits, our results of God's work in our life. If we're becoming more like Jesus, if we want to become more like Jesus, that is evidence that the Holy Spirit of God is working in us. And it's evidence that God has already adopted us as his children. So along with the assurance that we have in our hearts, along with the assurance of looking at the good fruit of God in our lives, we can look at how the Holy Spirit testifies to us through Scripture. The Bible gives us some different ways to be assured that we're saved. One example I want to look at tonight is in the book of Acts. 
There's this point when Paul and Silas have been traveling and preaching together and they get thrown into jail in Philippi. And as they're sitting there in jail, they're praying and they're singing hymns. And then God sends an earthquake. The prison goes all to pieces. The head jailer comes running. He is scared out of his mind. And when he hears the whole story and he finds out that all his prisoners are still there, he falls down in front of Paul and Silas and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas don't give a huge, long, complicated answer. They don't say to the jailer that he needs to keep believing really, really hard and do all kinds of good work and have some kind of defining Holy Spirit experience where God speaks directly and audibly to him. Paul and Silas don't say a lot. All they say is believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. There's a bit more to the story than that, but what it comes down to is believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. One commentary that I read this week suggested, jokingly, that there's two ways to know if you're saved. One way is you find the biggest ladder in the world, you climb up to heaven, you sneak through the gates, you find the book of life, and you dig through it to see if your name is written there or not. Now, I don't suggest that approach for a number of reasons, in part because the last time people tried to do that, Tower of Babel didn't end well for them, just so you know. But the other way, the other way to know that you're saved is to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Spirit works in different ways to assure us that we're God's children. The Spirit testifies with our spirit. The Spirit works in our lives so that we bear good fruit. And the Spirit works through the Scriptures. And the Scriptures tell us, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Because God has told us that, we can approach God with confidence. We can approach God with complete assurance, not because we think it of ourselves, not because we've done something, but because the Holy Spirit has worked in us, has given us internal and external signs that we belong to God as his children. If we believe in Jesus, we belong to Jesus. And if we belong to Jesus, we are God's adopted children. Now, having said all that, I'm sure some of you are still wondering, but how can I really know that I'm saved? Sure, that works for most people, but how can I really know that I'm saved? When I was in high school, there was one girl in particular in my catechism class who really, really struggled with this. When we talked about it in class one week, the rest of the class either got it or they just really didn't care. But this one girl just needed more. She just needed more assurance. And so she and the teacher went round and round, talked about all the things we've talked about tonight, talked about some other things. And finally, the teacher said, well, let me give you two things to do. First, pray and ask God to give you the assurance that you need. If you don't know that you're saved, but you want to be, ask God to work. Ask God to work through your heart, through the scriptures, through the spirit, through the church, to bring you the assurance that you feel like you need. And second, second, know that you wouldn't be worried about this unless the Holy Spirit was at work within you. You wouldn't have this deep desire, this deep, deep longing to be saved unless God had put it there. The fact 
that you want to be saved means that the Spirit is at work in you. So tonight we can be assured by God's Spirit testifying in our hearts, in the Scripture, and even in our lives that we belong to God as His adopted children. And third and finally tonight, we're going to talk about affliction. Affliction. Verse 17 says that we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And that part is great news. But then it continues. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And that bit about suffering doesn't sound so great. We're heirs with Christ And because of that, we get to share in his afflictions before we share in his inheritance. It would have been nice if we could go straight from adoption to assurance to inheritance, but that's not what Romans tells us will happen. Now, just to be clear, this text is not saying that we somehow have to fill up the suffering of Christ in order to be saved. Christ suffered and died. He did all of that work He fully paid for all of our sins. Legally, we are not guilty. In reality, we belong to God's family. Sharing in Christ's suffering does not make us any more saved. It doesn't make us God's children any more than we already are. But this is just one of the realities of life in God's family. If you're part of a close-knit family, if you really belong to a family, that means you're going to share in the joys of that family and you're also going to share in the troubles. And one of the realities of life in the Christian family is that we experience a lot of trials in this world. And if you really belong to the family of God, you hang tough, even through the tough times. A couple times in this sermon series, Pastor Greg or I have mentioned that Greek has two kinds of verbs, one that talks about ongoing action, and one that talks about one-time action. And when verse 17 talks about us sharing in the suffering of Christ, that verb share is said in a way that indicates ongoing action. We don't just share in Christ's suffering once. We continue, continue, continue to share in the affliction of Christ. The suffering that verse 17 talks about is the continual anxiety, attack, trouble, and tribulation that Christians always have to deal with. And some of this suffering helps train us up in Christ. Some of it is just spiritual warfare with the evil principalities and powers of the world. I would really love to be able to stand up here today and tell you if you follow Christ, you will have the easiest possible life. I'd love to be able to say if you follow Jesus, you will be blessed with everything you could ever want for the rest of your life. But if I said those things, I would be straight up lying to you. When you live as a Christian, you should expect to suffer. If you really belong to Jesus, you will experience affliction. Being a Christian is not going to solve all of your problems. In fact, being a Christian may cause you all kinds of new problems when the world, the flesh, and the devil come after you. Christians are part of the world's only perfect family. It is the best place to be, but we are also part of a family that has a target on its back, and if we really belong, we will face trouble. 
And in fact, if we really belong to Christ, we may seek out suffering. If we really follow the Christ who suffered and died for us, his people, for his family, then we too will be looking for ways that we can suffer on behalf of others. If we really belong to Christ's family, we're looking out for how we can bear each other's burdens. People who belong to Christ, just like Jesus did, lay down their lives for other people. Suffering is part of what it means to belong to Christ. But suffering is not the end of the story. The story tonight starts with God adopting us as his children, and it works through suffering and ends in God's children entering into glory with Christ himself. We suffer in the present, but we have an eternal inheritance. Whatever troubles we experience now, and by the way, we should never, ever minimize those troubles. These are real hard things that we go to, we go through because we belong to Christ. But whatever struggles we experience, as hard as they can be, they don't compare to the glory we will enjoy as God's forever children. God has adopted us as his children, so we belong to him forever. We are not our own. We belong to our heavenly father, and he will hold on to us forever. The Holy Spirit assures us of this in our hearts, in our lives, through the scriptures. Because of that, because God has made us his children, we can hold on to him even through suffering. No matter how hard life gets, God holds on to us forever. We have a forever father. We look forward to a forever home. We have a forever hope because we are God's own adopted forever children.